Welcome to the Welding Business Owners Podcast, where our podcasts are late, but our bids are on time. I'm your host, Kevin, with JMW Fabrication. Today, we've got a special episode with Josh Hewitt and Nate Newton from the Tradesman Experience Podcast. We flipped the script on this one a little bit. They actually interviewed me, but this is the audio from our talk together. If you guys haven't checked out their podcast yet, you really have to. They offer a ton of value, not only for welding business owners, but all across the trade of how to run a business, what your expectations are, how to set them, how to manage systems and manage people and run it. It's just an all around amazing podcast that I think you guys really, really enjoy. So go over there, check them out. The Tradesman Experience. You can find them on Instagram under the same name. You can find Nate at NateNewton87. You can find me, JMW Fabrication. You can find the podcast, Welding Business Owners Podcast. Without further ado, check out the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tradesman Experience. This is the podcast built by Tradesmen for Tradesmen. My name is Josh, and in the virtual studios is, is, of course, the talent, Mr. Nate Newton. Nate, 37 minutes into getting this show on the road. How are you, sir? <laughs> just, I, I didn't have to do shit, so I just watched both of you struggle for half an hour, and it was fucking oh, great. Damn. <laughs> I wish you looked good doing it, but you're just uh-huh. sitting there. But Jim yeah. and I was on. Jim and I was on. Yeah, she, she was. was. trying to help us. Much oh, appreciated. now? Probably oh, biting somebody God. in the dick. <laughs> Just like her dad. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> so anyway, so here's a, uh, first of all, first of all, um, this is not a welding podcast. I want to be clear uh, before I introduce our next guest. We're turning back the clock a little bit to Fabtech up in Chicago. And through several different events, we got to meet Kevin Johnson, the owner of Welding Business Owners Podcast, but also owner of JMW Specialty Welding and Fabrication. And I had the privilege of spending hours with this guy after the uh, CWA event. And immediately I knew, A, I liked him. And two, I wanted to have him on here to share his story. So Kevin, I hope that introduction pays you some credit that's due. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. Mic drop. It's over. That's all, that's all they need all right, to know. let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> Start drinking. Uh, man, we got a lot of stuff to unpack, a lot of things that uh, that I'm excited to hear about. But to just kick us off, tell us who you are. So I'm Kevin Johnson, um, owner of JMW Specialty Welding Fabrication. Um, everybody asks what the specialty welding is, and uh, it really, uh, long story short, I was going to do aerospace stuff, but now we do stairs and rails. So, you know, kind of next to each other, not a far jump at all, but um, yeah, so. <laughs> Same exact certifications and everything. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I started about eight years ago full-time. Um, our crew fluctuates from anywhere from four to you know, six, sometimes seven, eight people. Um, we, like I said, we do a lot of stairs and rails. A couple of years ago, about three, two and a half, three years ago, I decided to jump into the podcast space because really I was going to Fabtech and there's only so much time at Fabtech when you can talk to people. And I always felt like I never got enough out of the conversations. And I never got to talk to everybody I wanted to. So I decided to, you know, make it legit, make it sound like, you know, I had something else going on and 
just so I can talk to these people who I didn't get to mm. at Fabtech. So I started the podcast and now what we do is we just, I invite people on, we talk shop for a couple hours and I release an episode every week ish somewhere around there. You know, uh, our, uh, my tagline is our, um, our podcasts are late, but our bids are on time because <laughs> a lot of times my podcast is late. <laughs> so, um, yeah, did that. And then, um, you know, uh, recently we started up the Fabricator Olympics. Um, last month, October seventh was our first annual Fabricator Olympics, and um, yeah, let's dive into that. I'm excited to hear. Okay, like where the idea came from, what you had to do to create it, and what what was it like? <laughs> so where the idea came from was, it was I don't know, probably about a year over a year ago. Um, my wife and I always throw, you know, big parties and that's, that, that's kind of our thing. And I thought it'd be really like for my birthday party. She's like, what do you want to do for your birthday? I'm like, you know what? I want to have a bunch of my fabricator friends over. I just want to build stuff in the shop. I think it'd be cool to have a little competition, this and that. We have a spider crane. So I'm like, let's hang people from the spider crane upside down and do all this wild and crazy stuff. And, you know, that idea got shot down pretty quick. And then they kind of morphed into like, well, instead of doing it welding, like there's a bunch of different welding competitions out there. And in our shop, we're really passionate about the fabrication side of things because 90% of what we do is fabrication and 10% is welding. So, and uh, like, honestly, it's hard for us to find good welders and fabricate or good fabricators. We can find good welders. Fabricators are, they're a tough, they're a tough thing to hire for. Um, to, you know, so that's really where our passion was and it kind of grew into something a little bit bigger than I thought it was going to be. Um, it kind of, it kind of just snowballed. We, we have a connection with Lincoln electric retail and Harris products. We do some of their, um, alpha and beta testing on the new machines that are out and we make some of their social media content, whatever, um, videos and pictures and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and I got, I proposed the idea to them. I was like, Hey, you know, we're going to throw this event. Would you guys like to be the sponsor of it? You know, we, we've got a three-year relationship going on already. I think this would be right up your alley. And it's something that nobody else does. You know, like Skills USA, they have a little bit of fabrication in there, but it's more about putting the structure together and your your pressure testing. And, you know, there's a lot of welding involved. Um, ours, our competition was... There was a little bit of welding. It was mainly fabrication. So we had a couple different, we had six challenges with five, 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 six challenges. And everybody was scored on time and accuracy. Whatever welding that there, what there, there was to that, your welds were not graded at all. I don't care. I'm okay with, you know, as a business owner, I am really okay with average welds. You, if you can make your welds look better and still hit your time, that's great. But I kind of modeled this competition after what I want and what I want to see in my shop. And it's I want to see somebody to, who can do it fast, who can do it accurate, who can make it look half decent. Because if your welds are beautiful and it takes you three hours to build a whatever, that doesn't do me any good. You know what I mean? Like you don't further the business along. You don't help uh, anybody else in the shop by taking too long. So as much as I do appreciate beautiful stacks of dimes, I appreciate efficiency and guys who can, who 
you know, their mind works in a way that they can just see it and they can build it and they know how to get it done. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what the competition reflected. And um, yeah, so that was October 7th. We had um, for the for, for we purposely kept it small because it was hosted at our shop. We don't have a ton of parking at our shop. So I was trying to keep it to like 100, 150 people. And it was we got just over 100 people there. We had spots for 30, 30 competitors. We had 27 sign up. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I felt like everybody was a little bit intimidated because nobody knew what the Fabricator Olympics was. So I felt like I had to coach everybody and they're like, no, 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 no. You know, I had people like messaging me. I want to do it, but I'm not very good at TIG welding or like I'm terrible with stick vertical. I'm like, no, 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 guys. That's not what it is. It's a fabric, mm -hmm. like it's a fabrication competition. And well, it was, it was it pretty it. in the dark, right? Like, I mean, you didn't, Purposely. You didn't, yeah, you didn't give out much information. So I, I was looking at it like, I'm like, dude, I'll do it next year, but I don't know about jumping into it this year, you know, yes. <laughs> like, cause, cause that is intimidating, right? When you don't, you don't know what it is and it's like, oh, you need to do a, uh, nuclear certification with fucking chromo or something you're like i've never seen that before in my life yep so you know but that, I, I i appreciate that about it but i think your turnout next year is going to be fucking nuts i because think so of too. <laughs> you've, you've kind of broken the seal on it right exactly and, and so it was it was really tough because i couldn't tell people what we were doing because i wanted good i wanted good fabricators not good practicers so like even my foreman in my shop and everybody in my shop, nobody knew what we were doing. Like the we like two days before the competition, I had them cutting things that they didn't understand what was going to happen with that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, because I just, I, I couldn't, I didn't want to put it out there. So with that, you know, it's now that we have the, we did the first, we have the first year under our belt and we have the content and people kind of understand what it is. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. This is really up my alley. So I'm going to have to switch it up next year. Uh, we are in talks with um, uh, a local school to actually host it there because I think the turnout is going to be a lot more. You know, for mm -hmm. like for the hundred people that we had, it was, I say it was a concentrated hundred. You know, mm -hmm. we had guys who drove down from like we're in uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, like an hour north of Philly. We had guys come down from like, Maine, Rhode Island, up from Virginia. I had a guy, uh, him and his wife flew up from North Carolina. Guy from Ohio mm. came out. So like, you know, we had 27 people, but uh, 27 competitors. But I would say six of them traveled more than five hours to get there to compete in this. Shit. Yeah. That's impressive. Well, so one one aspect of that competition that I thoroughly enjoyed was watching to see how long somebody could use a zip cut for. Oh man. Dude, so. <laughs> that's such a fucking killer. Like, dude, I mean the amount, the amount of zip cuts we go through in our shop, right? It, it's staggering, but to see a dude go more than 30 minutes with one zip cut. I watch guys barrel through those things in 45 seconds. I think the, uh, I think he actually ended <laughs> yes, up going Josh. like 47 minutes on one wheel. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Talk about letting the tool do the work, right? Right. You know, it was actually a problem because I had anticipated the competitions to last about an hour and a half. So we would run two. We had six competitions and we would run two at a time. 
That way we had enough judges and then everybody would, when you're done with this one, your number got called and you went to the next one. And it took like three and a half hours to get through the cut wheel competition because people were just camping out mm -hmm. on just, you know, there's, I think the winner, he got 56. So we had three quarter inch solid round bar mm -hmm. and who, mm -hmm. you know, you get one wheel, everybody gets a brand new wheel. Um, Lincoln really stepped up and they gave us all the welders. They gave us all the grinders and like they gave us so much, like basically the entire, everything we had in the competition was theirs and they stepped up huge. So they gave us all the cutoff wheels and brand new grinders. We had a three quarter inch solid steel round bar. And however many slices you could get out of that, the winner got 56 slices out of one wheel on that on god that damn that, i yeah. do I, I i just want to play that on repeat in my shop for all of our crew members you know like <laughs> hey that's that's what's possible you know yep, yep. so that, I, I i think nuts. he uh, he got 56 in like under 30 minutes i believe so next time we're gonna have to put a time limit on it mm. so the other competitions let me think we did one. It was we had five sixteens round bar, and you had to make it make an eight by eight square box. Um, every sixteenth of an inch out of tolerance and squareness, you got a point, and whoever had the lowest amount of points won because that theoretically you're square and you're perfectly two dimension. We, but the uh, but the caveat was you couldn't use a tape measure. You had to use. You had to do it by eye. Oh, you know, yeah. Matt, my my business partner Matt would be the fucking crown jewel of that competition. <laughs> we call him we call him the gazer beam because that dude can see a sixteenth out at forty feet. Like he's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's that. Were they allowed to use squares or nope? No, they just had to eyeball the whole thing. Yeah, you had to eyeball the whole thing. Holy fuck. I would have failed that miserably. <laughs> yeah. So as some people did, so, some people thought the, the the pieces of bar that we got were already cut to, you know, certain lengths and they could just, all they had to do was cut it evenly and make it square. You had six ex extra inches on the actual bar that you had. So you had to actually see where eight inches was. So, um, yeah. it, 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 it was really interesting to see how people figured out, where like you know the, the the eight inches on it and um so there was that there was um who could so we had one inch flat bar and whoever could drill a half inch hole through one inch flat bar the fastest one and that was strictly on time so you could do pilot holes you could do whatever so everybody got a brand new drill bit set from one sixteenth up to half inch, and whatever pilot bit you wanted to use, you got to use it. That was where the skill came in, where so so that you had to know what you could do. Man, you you should have seen some people kill these drill bits. There was a guy <laughs> twenty minutes, just like it, just smoke everywhere. The 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 drill smoking, his bit smoking. He's just dumping oil everywhere. Mm terrible terrible I, I mean trust me trust me i have employees i know exactly what that looks like so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the things in our shop is everybody has to have their own set of drill bits because i learned really early early on that you have to 
have your own drill bits because I'm I, I, like, if you don't know how to use drill bits, you can wipe out an entire set of drill bits in like a, a day, really. Mm. Yeah. Well, and that, so I, I was a pipeline welder for 12 years and the, the, the responsibility that came along with that was I had to have my own rig. I had to have all my own tools, all my own equipment. And it really fostered this idea of treating your tools nicely. And then all of a sudden you get employees and they don't give a flying fuck yeah. about any of your tools. Like I've watched dudes knock over fucking uh mag drills off of the off of the table and just be like, oops, and just pick it up and put it back on the table. And I'm like, <laughs> man, that's not you just dropped it on the annular cutter too. Like <laughs> yeah. onto the bit. And it's like you know, you get up to a two inch bit on a on a mag drill. Yeah, that's a two hundred fifty dollar bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's like, oh shit, sorry, bro. <laughs> is that coming out of your check or what are we doing here like yeah, yeah. So, but uh, that really fostered this idea of maintaining equipment buying high quality shit yep and we we have opportunities for our guys to rig up and we've had five five guys rig up completely uh we don't have any right now but as they rigged up it's it's crazy to watch how much better our tools get treated mm-hmm. once they rig up you know, they start treating the stuff in the shop better. And uh, it, it takes that. It takes you being responsible for your own shit in order to facilitate that. Yeah, it's funny because now, um, now that we're, uh, we, we we thinned out a few guys and we're switching, we're selling one truck. So we have, we had two road rigs. One of them was like full decked out and the other was like, halfway kind of decked out and that was like the leftover tools from the shop and you know just enough for you to get by and we have a a tool list that you have to have and we give them a tool allowance and if you don't have it we'll buy it for you and take it out of your tool allowance just so that you have the tools well we're selling the one truck and i just i took all the tools out of there and to be honest with you i'm putting the good ones in my toolbox and i'm throwing the rest out because Mm -hmm. i want people to have their own tools because if you exactly what you said, if you have your own tools, you respect them differently. And then you respect those tools differently. Then you respect all the other tools differently. So it's kind of a trickle down effect Mm -hmm. because I, we we've had a lot of problems like that too. And I think the best way to do it is to, you know what, if, if you come on board and you don't have, and we have to drop 800 bucks on you tooling up in order to have this job, that's fine. Well, you know, we'll either take it out like partially out of your check and partially out of your tool allowance because, you know, I want everybody to keep sharp drill bits. Like in our handbook, it says you must keep an entire drill index up to half inch and replace them or sharpen them when they're not, um, when they're dull. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people will buy like the cheap $20 Harbor Freight drill index. I'm like, guys, come on. Like, <laughs> this is not like, I want you to have risk. Like, I understand, you know, you're straight out of school. You don't have a whole lot of money. Let me just buy you the hundred dollar one and just take care of them because I want you to, because, you know, they're not going to take care of that $20 set. It's gonna mm-hmm. They're going to get dull and they're going to go in our inventory and pull the ones that are ours. And then the quarter inch bit that they have is never like, they're never going to have a sharp quarter inch bit ever, you know? Right. Well, because we have, we go through like uh, Kimball Midwest, uh, uh, our good buddy, Mike Baum, he's our outside sales rep. 
And he comes in and it's that full index that goes every 16th of an inch Mm -hmm. is what our, and we'll go put them out in the shop. They're 250 bucks for these things are step up bits. So they're, they're fucking expensive and we go put it out in the shop and I always buy like three or four of them at a time and I hide the rest of them. But, But no, no joke. I put one out there and four days later I go out and there's seven missing bits in there. And I'm like, hey, where the fuck are the bits at? Oh, they broke. I'm like, were you going to tell me? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't wasn't that big of a deal. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do when you need a quarter-inch bit? Well, I'm just going to ask you. Oh, when you need it, you're going to come ask me. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting out in front of it so I can go order one, that's how it's going to go. You know, and so it's it's that weird dynamic when you when your work is dependent upon the tools that you have mm-hmm. and you're the one that provides them. You're like, oh, oh shit! I broke that today. I better hit Home Depot on the way home. Yep. Then it's very different than uh, a lot of other places that I that I watch operate. You know, and then uh, we we actually just hired a shop steward, uh, uh, Sam, who we hired her on a couple months ago. Uh, she came in. She's super organized. Shows up with her own Milwaukee triple stack box. She takes it in and out of her truck every day. She has all of her tools are labeled, has her own color of spray paint on them. And she she's doing this every day. We see all of her stuff super organized. We're like, hey, we'll give you a substantial compensation uh, increase if you take over our shop for us. And she's like, oh, thank God. Like, I am so tired of <laughs> working in here because this place is a fucking disaster. And I'm like, <laughs> so, you know, like, but put it in the hands of somebody that is capable and mm-hmm. has the ability to do it and is organized and wants to take it on, you know? Right. And I told her, I was like, look, this isn't just us giving you the responsibility. You have authority with this too. If people come in here out of the field and they just start dumping shit in the shop, light them the fuck up. Yeah, and if they give you any shit for it, you come tell us, and we'll handle it. Yep. So I mean, it, it, and that's—I don't think people understand that you can't just leave it to everybody to do the right thing when it comes to your tools. Mm-hmm. And we thought that for a long time, and then we realized how much we fucked up by doing that. <laughs> yep. So they have to buy their own tools now, but yeah, you'd be surprised at for the competition how many people like just smote smoke their drill bits. It was, it was, it was actually pretty comical how bad a lot of people were, but then some people were great. They just boom, knocked it right out. Like, I don't know, under, under, under a minute, they put a a hole in there. I was like, all right, you guys actually know what you're doing, you know? Right. So what was the grand prize for the fabricator Olympics? So the grand prize was a brand new Lincoln 180i multi-process machine. That Lincoln uh, donated, and we put a thousand bucks cash on top of it. So, um, you know, be, be like, I, I I knew this was going to be an issue. So I literally I backed my I I came up with the judging schedule of like how to judge all the competitions, and I had my mentor, I had Jason Becker from the Art Junkies podcast, and I had a local um, tech school teacher be the be the the judges for this whole thing. Because my foreman won first place, so I I had a you know I had to completely separate myself, so there was no bias there. But um, yeah, like he won the welder, and it's actually still in our shop, just kind of rolling around because he won't take it home because he's a Miller guy. But um, <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, it was, um, it, it was great, man. It was a really good turnout. Um, some of the other competitions were, were a lot of fun. And, um, uh, we had a couple of vendors there. Uh, we had, you know, amazing food. And I think next year we've, we're in talks with a couple other sponsors, um, energy drinks and stuff like that. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be a really good time. I think it's going to be a really good turnout next year. Um, um, it was really cool to see a lot of the, the trade school kids come out to, to show them what the, you know, cause if you're in school, you, you only, you do pad welds and you do verticals and you do some practice pipes, but it's the skills that you don't learn in tech school or in your trade school that you're able to see like, Oh, this really matters in the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, especially the, like the, the so the final co- competition was actually a modification of what we do for our hiring test. So you had four pieces of two inch square tubing, um, 16 gauge, like real thin, and they were cut to, I don't know, 17, 18 inches long. You had to make a 15 by 15 square box miter all four corners. And then there was a, you had to make a leg out of two inch square tube that went on whatever corner you want it, but it had to be vertical and had to be square both ways. And then that also had to be 15 inches. So that was our final competition. And, um, you know, some people, I, I mean, I mean, I think Dylan got it in like 19 minutes. Um, also you had to fully weld it around and then you, did you No, you didn't have to blend your welds in our weld t- in our, in our weld test, we have you sand down all four corners like it would be a square tube handrail because I want to see how your blending is. Um, for that one, you didn't have to do that. It was just straight up welding. Um, and then every every 16th of an inch you were out of dimension and square, it added like, I think it was like 10, I have it's written down, it's like 10 or 15 seconds. And some I think the closest there was, Dylan was 19 minutes, Jared was 27 and then the other three guys were in the 30, 40 and one guy finished in like 58 minutes. And um, so, yeah, now that I give that away, I'm going to have to change it up for next year, (laughs) but it's going to be a little bit more complicated next year. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of what the fabricator Olympics was. It was really more of a fabrication, a showcase for fabricators who have guys who guys and girls who have been in the industry and can put stuff together, cut it and put it together accurately in a specific time frame. Hmm. That's a, uh, I, I that, for the kids that came in to check that out, like the plethora of tips and tricks that you can pick up on watching these guys compete against one another on how to do things quickly, effectively, efficiently, you know, like what, I mean, what a, leg up for those kids you know and it, it really does show them that this because we've we run into that all the time too with our hiring process is people are like oh i'm a good welder and i'm like okay cool uh you know we we do the same thing they have to build a it's a 10 by 10 uh square box out of uh i think it's two by two by 120 wall and then they have to blend all their corners down and their welds look great and then you let them blend something and they're blending with a fucking grinding wheel yeah. You're like, hey, 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 what are you what are you doing? You know? <laughs> but they can tell they've never fabricated, you yeah. know, they they've welded and uh, uh finding out what people's capabilities are on that on that fabrication side, God is that humbling for them. 
mm-hmm. you know, to, to realize how much they don't fucking know when it comes to fabrication. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's good. And well, I mean, it's good because it helps weed them out, but we've got guys coming in. We just had a guy come in. He had a really impressive resume. He did. He's owned his own business. He didn't like it. He does really precise work. He has AutoCAD experience. Just his, his, you know, he was probably in his late forties, early fifties. I'm like, this is the guy we need. He's got a lot of experience. He went to go build that box, man. It was like he was building a rocket ship. Like he would just take, he would disassemble it, sand a little bit, and then put it all back together and be off. And then disassemble the whole thing and put it back together. I'm like, dude, like I understand, get it. Like, uh, like, you know, there has to be that balance of make it nice and perfect, but we also have to hit our time on this too. You know what I mean? Like really it should take 45 minutes to an hour. Like Mm -hmm. if you're, you're doing it at a sustainable pace and you're just, you know, like in a shop environment, even an hour and a half, Mm -hmm. because you know, you've got the jitters that were, you know, you're interviewing, you know, you're a little bit mm-hmm. nervous, you're overthinking things, whatever. Um, I tell people to tack it all together before they weld it so I can see their cuts and how it's mm-hmm. tacked together. Then I can see, you know, if it's perfectly fit and it, yeah, it maybe took you an hour and a half, but it's perfectly fit. I can definitely work with that. If you've got these big giant gaps and you're at a one hour and you got, you got to fill you know, three sixteenths of an inch gap on 16 gauge material. Like that's going to just be a, <laughs> yeah. a disaster. That's a disaster. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, you know, I want to see how they do it, put it together and then weld it up. And then I want to see your finishing process on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it really, it really weeds it out, man. And, and, and you know, um, the guys, it, it's funny, even the guys who bomb it, like we have a guy, Chris in our shop, man, Chris is like, he's just, he's just the guy to get it done. You know, he bombed his test. We hired him straight out of school and he did a pretty terrible job. I'm not going to lie. Like, like he knows it. We all know it. It's, it's not like I'm talking, I'm talking smack on, on, on him, but um, he's humble and he's really, he's really eager to learn. He takes directions re- really well. And he was just a genuinely good, nice guy, man. Him and Dylan are killing it in there. Because you know what, he, he's he's not a, a class A fabricator, but he's getting there. Like this, he's been with us for about a year, and his skill from where he came from, from you know, not zero, but you know, at r- really low, he is he's really really excelled. So, I don't think the box is a make or break for hiring with us. It's more of a let's see where your skills and strengths are at. And we'll take it and we'll evaluate it from there. Cause sometimes we're hiring for a shop guy and, you know, we, we make them cut that with a cutoff wheel. I give them a grinder, cutoff wheel, a flap wheel, a square, a piece of soapstone, um, and the welder, you know, if they need PPE, if they don't come in with PPE, we give them PPE. Um, because, you know, especially for road work, you don't have a chop saw out there in the field. We're not packing up a chop saw to put on the truck so that you can make square cuts. I want to see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, if you're going to be in the shop, if we're hiring you specifically for the shop and your cuts aren't that straight. All right. We'll, we'll work on that because most of the time you're going to be using a chop saw anyway. So it's not really a make or break. It's 
it's really to see where you're at, but we do weigh pretty heavily on it depending on the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, our, most of our rigs are equipped with chop saws personally, but that, it's the same thing though. You know, if the guy's got to know how to use a porta band or something, mm-hmm. you can actually do some pretty impressive shit with a porta band, porta band and a grinder, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's, that's so much shit has been automated these days that the days of the truly skilled individual, I, I think they're a skill fabricator. Yeah. They're, they're gone. They're, they're kind of going to the wayside, you know, uh, that cause they don't need to, they don't need to do it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I think that the the future is going to be beholden to those that are capable of doing things like we're like you're discussing right now. You know, I I think it's both. I think there's a there's a there's a, there's room for both because of the auto like automation is not going away, so you need to embrace it no matter what that looks like in your shop. Um, I think automation, you know, everybody says it's going to take away jobs. I don't think it's going to take away jobs more as it's going to make people be more efficient with the jobs that they do. But the guys who do get that fabrication side of things, those are like the guys you put on the road where they can improvise, where they are problem solvers, where they can make it happen when they don't have those tools. So I think that the guys who, who I want to say in quotes, like they get it when it comes to fabrication, those are the guys who you can pay them five, eight bucks an hour more to put them on the road because they can do it by hand rather than need it done in the shop. But I think there is also going to be there. I think there really is value in learning that new production work. You know, like one of the things that we're working towards is a plasma tubing processor, you know, the JD squared Bentec dragon EMI, something like that, where you draw it out and you stick, you know, you just have somebody stick the pipe in and they, it just spits out posts. It spits out handrail. It's, it's just all around amazing. There is a value to the guys who, who understand that. Um, now, what do I value more? I don't know. It depends on, on the job that we're, that you're hired for. You know, I do need that guy who, who, or, or I will need that guy who knows that machine inside and out who can draw it, but you can't like you put him out in the field to fix a, you know, an excavator bucket. He's going to, he's going to be out there for a week failing miserably. He's not going to know how to do that. So I do respect both sides of it. Um, You know, coming as a guy who quote unquote gets it, I find myself tending more to respect that just because it is like the old timer trade, like, and it's, it's what I know and what I understand. So I think I can see both sides of it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, I really respect the guys who, who get it, who understand it. And as long as you have a good attitude, man, I'll hire that any day, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, a good attitude takes you so fucking far in these industries. I mean, because we've we've dealt with that, you know, a lot. You know, where especially these younger kids, you know, they haven't really experienced much. They don't know what the markets look like, and then they come in, and you know, somebody's finally holding them accountable for once in their life. And uh, if they have the the balls to take that constructively, they're gonna do great. But you can always see the little clicks start to form of, you know, people bitching and complaining with each other and, you know, 
fucking over I, I, what they don't understand I, i've come to realize and this is even with the older generations too there's a huge difference between working hard and struggling all day mm. uh, that gets convoluted a lot they're like dude i fucking worked my ass off all day and it's like no you struggled all day that's not hard work that's just struggling very good you know point. and that, that trying to trying to present that differentiation with people that you know they're like well dude i'm fucking exhausted like yeah because you suck at what you're doing let me show you some ways to not suck you know <laughs> no that's 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 a hard point to get across yeah know? evan how do you balance the the efficiency and the standard um i something you said earlier that you don't you don't hound on people for stacking dimes you care about efficiency and quality but the welds don't have to be to be perfect how do you balance and manage that standard i uh, it comes down to our, our work orders um it comes to communicating what the job is and what the standards are on our work orders we have a finishing uh it says what process so back it up a little bit it's it, it, that's been a long struggle for me um, because I just think that everybody else understands what's going on in my head, mm. and I, I I need to communicate sounds like that. A, sounds like a leader, right? <laughs> <laughs> I need to communicate that well to everybody else. So one of the first things we did was making up a work order for the shop, rather than just scribbling down on a piece of white paper and just kind of expecting them to know. I put in there how many hours. I bid the job for um, we've actually broken that out a little bit more into like the, this, how many hours we have for cutting to like processing fabrication. This is for packaging delivery. This is for, you know, media blasting and powder coating. So I've broken that out, but the standards for the, the welding and even the finishing is, you know, we have one, two, three, and four. I, I tell you, I, I say what process I want it done. Make TIG stick, whatever. And, um, it's, there's a, there's a, I, I, I had to pull it up. It's one through four. One is like gr grind it down perfectly. No visible welds, like, like perfectly smooth. Um, uh, four is like, leave it as is. Don't even touch the, like, if you have any spatter, don't even touch the spatter. Cause it's going in the ground. You know, nobody's ever going to see it. So I think that is how I have. And granted, I fall, I fall short of that standard sometimes. Even when I do make a work order, you know, sometimes I just don't fill that out because um, I just feel like it's it's self-explanatory. And even though it needs to be done, that is my job. My job is to fill out that work order to completion so that everybody knows what is in my mind and how it should be done. These are the hours I expect it to be done in. This is the way I want the the welds ground down and the finish. And this is the technique I want done. And this is the media blasting material that I want you to use. This is where we're going to take it for powder coating or finishing. And here's the date I made the work order. Here's the date I need it to be, uh, you know, it ready to install. Here's the site address. And that's been a work in progress for a, a long time. And with uh, having Dylan on board as, as the foreman, he's really, 
um, me and him are the, the communication with me and him is, is, is pretty tight. So even the stuff that I dropped the ball on, he, he knows and he gets, and he understands, but he still holds me accountable a, a decent amount of time. You know, he's like, you know, even for things where I, I know he knows he's just coming to ask me to be like, Hey, you forgot this. <laughs> I'm like, touche, man. I got you. I appreciate you holding me accountable. Even when it is, Annoying I'm doing something else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I like that you have, I mean, I could spend an hour just talking about the that system. Mm -hmm. But what I do like is that you're setting clear expectations because one of the mistakes that can happen, and I think this is personality based, is you can you can get lost in perfection and you lose the process. Yeah. And when you have to do rework or rebuild, because the only, I call them operating tolerances. All right. So when your operating tolerance is perfection, uh, you, you never get there. Mm -hmm. You, you, you never accomplish it. And then when there are no clear operating tolerances, like you're talking about, you've got this one through four, um, you've got all of these processes broken down, uh, throughout the steps of the fabrication, it just, it, it lays out a clear roadmap for people. And what I also like about it is you're, you're giving people the, in, the roadmap, but you're still not driving for them. Mm -hmm. And that's a mistake that a lot of leaders make is they want to, they want to give them the roadmap and they want a hand on the steering wheel. And the more information and the, you have to make it very elementary. And I don't use the word elementary to offend anyone's intelligence. You have to make it elementary because if you don't start at that basic fundamental level of implementation and transfer of information and communication and accountability that you're talking about, you can't grow them. Yeah. You know, so Dylan can look at that and you can forget something and he already knows how to interpret the rest of the information to conclude what it is that you want, but he's still going to come back to you and be like, Hey, what'd you, what did you want here? Mm -hmm. And that is fucking beautiful Yeah, because what that really tells me is now you have built an individual that is em embracing this, the system. They understand the system, they're representing the system, but they're not allowing the system to fall away. And so they're still holding the standard is my, is ultimately what I'm getting to right? this yeah. big fucking roundabout that I'm talking here, but I wish people understood more how effective those elementary processes and procedures and transfer of information and how not just elementary, but effective, right? So when I, when I teach people about systems, not just developing a system, but when I teach people about systems, it has to check three boxes. It has to be effective. It has to be efficient and it has to be easy. The three E's, but it has to be easy to use, easy to access and easy to communicate. Yep. If you implement the three E's in a system, you have exactly what you're talking about. And I think the asterisk for the fourth E is evolution, right? You have to allow the system to evolve. Yeah. But I, so I love that you are able to 
A, get your ego out of the way and know that every weld, every piece doesn't have to be perfect, but it's job sensitive, not ego sensitive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's funny you say that the asterisk of, of the evolution thing, because the more, the longer I've been in business and the more that I, that Dylan jumps on board with this process, uh, these processes, the more we realize like, this is what makes a company more than you owning a job with some helpers. You know, I, ah, I yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. I feel like that was my, you know, it, uh, for the longest time, it was, um, I feel like it was the Kevin show with a bunch of helpers. And then I realized, I mean, you know, I, like I, I, I love what I do and I love everything about this business. I need to empower people, but I, I felt I felt I found myself frustrated because of the expectations that I had in my head, but I didn't communicate. And even when I did do it, it seemed uh, like I was trying to be a dictator. <laughs> and like, you know, when I first started telling people, um, like I, I would tell everybody on the team, I'm like, this is when we first did this, these work orders. I would say, these are the hours we have to do it. And you just see their face drop. And it's like, okay, like I'm not doing this to nitpick you. I'm not doing this because <laughs> like, like when we first started out and we're like, we don't want to be like corporate. We don't want to have all these rules and like these processes, like everybody should just know how to do it. And then <laughs> I see you shaking your head. <laughs> And then I realized I'm like, no, this is what has to be done, you know. So we're like, well, we'll just implement this, the, like, like this little bit of of paperwork, and then we'll we'll still be pretty relaxed and have, uh, you know, whatever. And then the more and more we're there, we're like, ah, oh, we need to make a process for this. Mm -hmm. We need to make it. We need to write this down. If it didn't happen, it or if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. And boy, have we learned that. Holy moly. Um, you know, but like I had to stress to everybody, I don't tell you the hours that you have to hit to nitpick you. I say that to hold you accountable and for you to know what success looks like in, mm. in the job uh, that you're doing. That's I, see, that's fucking brilliant right yes. there. That's I, yes. To let it gives them a metric in which to measure themselves by. Sorry, Absolutely. Though. You know, um, I had a guy, Jared, he, for three years, we've been doing the same product every three, four months, we get an order for it. And we were at, uh, I don't know, 27 hours, 28 hours to, to do the whole entire process. He came in there. I said, these are the hours we got. Dude, the guy knocked it out in 17 hours because he just knew what to do. He got in there, he got it done. And like that helps him feel good about you all right you know pat on my back i got that done when it took everybody else this much longer so implementing those processes was so it was hard at first and you know and it's also hard when you have to talk to them be like hey you know where are you at with hours i hate i i hate and i mean i i, I don't love any of it yet but i have to go to dylan i'm like hey where are we at with hours with this where are we at with hours with this because I want to, you know, that's me helping him say, okay, <clears throat> you know, because I give Dylan full time for the shop. Like he, he's completely transformed my shop. He's got, we threw 
three quarters of the stuff in the shop that we had out. We sold the rest of it. We bought other stuff that was more efficient. And now there's nothing in my shop. And it's great because all we have, we have tables, we have workbenches, and we have a couple tools and we have toolboxes and we're ready to go. We didn't have all the Kevin projects all over the place, up on top <laughs> of the pallet racks and everything like that. I, I bought a C container. I just put them in the C container for myself. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say like, I'm that great. Like I got yeah. rid of them. I, I got rid of some of them. You know, it's yeah. funny because so we, we went to go see um, Jocko Willink in per, uh, for one of his talks, maybe eight year, eight months ago. And he says something that completely transformed my thinking of um, and it was it was it was in a two hour long conversation. You know, he just talks to you. It was disconnect is a superpower. And if you're able to disconnect from what is what you want versus what the business needs, it is so hard to do that, especially when your entire business was built on, hey, I want this. I've got the money for it. Let's go buy it and I can justify it as a business expense. Or, you know, I, I joked before the reason why I went into business is because I have a tool addiction. So I can just <laughs> buy all the tools I want. Well, in to to take a step back and say, all right, I really want this. You know, perfect example is I was a I bought a flat year and a half ago. I I bought a 40 foot almost brand new. It was like a year old. 40 foot deck over gooseneck trailer. Thing was badass. I wanted one forever. We need it for a job. I went out and I dropped the money on because I wanted it. I've used it four, maybe five times in a year and a half. <laughs> and, you know, a few months ago, I got real. Like, I got real with myself. I'm like, this is not what our business needs. I can mm -hmm. get 15 grand for this thing. Would I go buy this again for 15 grand? No, I wouldn't. So I sold it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's happened so much. With things that is, you know, even stuff we have for sale now, um, you just, I, I had to disconnect myself from the things that needed to happen. So I forget what tangent I was going off on that, but, um, you know, that, being able. That, yeah, that's okay. Cause, because I do want to stay there for a second, because what you're really saying is you have to do what the business needs, not what your ego wants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when you see these businesses. So I have this thing, revenue per square foot. I'm a fucking monster about revenue per square foot because people buy these locations or these buildings because they want more space. And instead they need to do exactly what you're talking about, right? It's not about what they want. It's about the, what the business needs. People buy tools, people buy vehicles every, you know, once or twice a year, they, um, they spend all of this money and it's not what the business needs. It's it's about what they want. And it's about their financial ego and their status because what they want is they want to be able to walk across the street and feel sexy about how their business looks to them mm -hmm. instead of the, the operation, the processes, the team, the value of the people, the profits uh, that they're operating with. Instead, it's like a fucking Instagram filter, right? Mm -hmm. They want all of this sexy hanging around and- so I, how you said that happened eight months ago, is that how much do you still struggle with that every day? 
Oh my gosh, Facebook Marketplace? Are you kidding me? <laughs> that place, dude, that place is a fucking nightmare. It's like you jump on there and you're like, dude, you can get that much for that? You know, we've been you know, we've been at this for how you know seven years now. And it's like, do we still have some of the equipment that we had when we started? Yeah. You know, and you know, it's easy to go out and buy brand new shit, and then you buy it and it just fucking sit. We bought a tubing bender from Rogue Fab. Badass tubing bender. We've used it once. <laughs> Are we living the same life? I bought a JD, I, so. I bought a JD Square Model Fifty Four mm. hydraulic, everything like that. I bought it like used, like the, mm. the guy built two or three race car chassis with it, and then sold it to me. I bought it. I was like, I really, I needed it for this one job, and we used it for this one job. And man, it sat in a sea container. Then we moved it into the shop, and now it sits in the shop and collects dust because we just don't use it, mm-hmm. and do will we grow into it yes um it's definitely something that it's it's pretty easy to use but it's just for now really it's it's our drawing capabilities mm-hmm. to be able to figure out like the radius and you know how much you need to do with it. it's not that hard to do it but um yeah i i'm on the yeah. same page with you with that with right. that man i mean we bought so we bought like the full die kit you know for all the doms mm-hmm. all the schedules of pipe the only thing we've ever used it for is for 12 inch returns on ADA compliant grab rails. <laughs> it's a fucking $2,000 piece of equipment that we could have built those with. We could have bought nineties, you know, from McMaster car or something like that for $7. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's fucking, it's ridiculous. The kind of shit that, you know, you're like, Oh, we could use this. This is what we could do with it. And then you never actually pursue the work with it. You know, you're going to do the things that already make you money. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, well, we could do this. You know, we got out of off-road completely. We used to do a bunch of off-road shit. You know, you were talking about having a pro- projects eating up space in your shop. We were in like a, an 1100 square foot shop when we started. I had a rock crawler parked in there for a year. It was his. Taking, it was mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it made us zero money and just occupied space. I had a seven. My, like, I, my, I bought a 70 Chevelle. And I had it mm. sitting in the middle bay, which is like the, our middle bay is the one that's like always open. I had that sitting there for like three months, man. It just collected dust. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I, I I refused to put it away in storage unless it was running and driving. And it sat there for it might have been more than three or four, three months. It might have been like four months. And um, but yeah, like everybody worked around it. Nobody could put things on top of it. And it just <laughs> sat there. And I was. It it was the Kevin show with his helpers for a long time, <laughs> yeah. and then now it's you know I I realize like I just need to to grow into what we what we want to grow into. I need to put myself out of like aside, and say, is this truly what the business needs? And it's you know e- even some of the we sold that trailer. We're buying other things that even the stuff that I don't even think we really need, but my foreman Dylan really thinks that they would be a a help in the shop. You know, I'm putting my ego aside of no, you know what? I'd rather spend a couple hundred bucks on this, but you know what? I think it was, is valuable to, you know, if, if I want him to own the shop, like I Mm -hmm. want him to own it, I need to buy him the things that he wants for the shop. And even even though I don't I, I don't see the return on investment of it, maybe it's not going to have the return on investment that I see, but it will for him. You know what I mean? How yeah. do you filter out 
what he wants and what the shop needs. Um, I asked him, I said, how is this going to make us money? How is this going to be, uh, you know, what's the, how do I phrase it to him? Uh, you know, I, I, I say, okay, tell me why we need to spend this much money and how, how we're going to make that money back. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times he's like, well, you know, it kind of won't like he, he wants a, uh, a Burking, um, belt sander. Oh, this two, is like four grand. <laughs> yeah. Two, three, four thousand dollars. I'm like, all right, cool. I said, how help me understand how that's going to pay for it. We have a belt sander. It's a piece of junk. I got it out of the scrapyard. I put a new motor on the thing. The thing bogs down. <laughs> it is what it is, but it's a belt sander. I said, help me understand why we need to spend $3,000 on a new belt sander. And, you know, we both work through that and understand like, like, and, and, and I don't say that to be kind of a jerk to him be like, oh, well, explain to me why it's good. No, I, I like maybe he does have a really good uh, point that it will save mm-hmm. us time. Yeah, um, that's a strategic conversation, yeah. not an authoritative yeah. conversation. Sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think that's how all of our, our, almost all of our conversations are, is because I want Dylan to have the buy-in and I want the, him to run this shop like it's his because really just, well, because I want him to run it like it's his because, mm-hmm. you know, he's got the skill, he's got the ability and I, you know, he's a really valuable person. He's a mm-hmm. valuable team member. He's a valuable, for, valuable, valuable foreman. He's a valuable friend. And mm-hmm. I want to respect that in him. And um, I wanted to build, you know, our tagline is not your ordinary welding company. And I want to have a company that's not your ordinary welding company. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, people aren't coming in late. The, you know, the, the culture is you show up. 10, 15 minutes ahead of time. Everybody knows each other. Everybody's friendly to each other. Everybody relatively gets along. And, um, you know, that's the kind of company that I want to own. So I need to figure out how to facilitate that. Well, I I think that it's brilliant that you allow him to take ownership of the shop. And like you said, it's his shop. You're not the one out there every day dealing with the shit, dealing with the people in the shop, dealing with the tools and equipment. You get, you empower him to do things the way that are going to be the most effective for the company. Right. And that's ultimately by giving him that, uh, that freedom, you're allowing him to take care of your company, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we've done that with Sam, who's our shop steward. We gave her a credit card. We're like, here, this has an $8,000 limit on it. If it's anything over a thousand dollars, we have to have a conversation about it, but buy what you need. I'm not going to go out there and nitpick what fucking grinding wheels you're using. Get the shit that you guys want to use. We support that all day, you know, and just that little bit of empowerment really gives people the ability to, to shine, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I appreciate your, your, uh, your thought process on that, you know, of like, Hey, it's your shop. Take well, care it, of it as you see fit. It's not even just doing it's everybody, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, you like this kind of cutoff wheel. Tell me why you like it. We'll buy it and we'll try it out. If you want to use it, cool. We'll buy it for you. Oh, you think that we should do it this way? All right. Tell me why you think, you know, I, 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 I do. I, I'm real specific with Dylan because he's my right hand man, but I do that with everybody. You know, I help them work through it, help them to, you know, come up with your own explanations or your, your own, the answers to your own problems. You know, I try, 
I say I do it a lot, but I would I think I need to do it more of don't come to me with the problem unless you've got two solutions. And I, you, you know, because I want to hear your your thought process of how to fix that. I want you to think on your own one step ahead before you come to me and make me your easy button to fix it. I want you to figure out, you know, and I say to do, do you do you listen to our podcast like all the time? Because it's fucking funny that all this shit that <laughs> yeah. Josh says, are, it's literally coming out of your mouth verbatim. So. Well, it, it's funny because I I think I only started to listen to your podcast maybe maybe about six months ago, and then I kind of dropped off a little bit because I, I I you know I stopped listening to things during the day, and then um I kind of tuned back in right uh, right after Fab Tech actually, um but yeah it, it, it's funny because everything that you guys talk about is like the dialogue that goes on in my head. <clears throat> But it's just like, oh my gosh, they're just talking about what's going on in my head. This is amazing, you know. <laughs> for not being for not being a welding podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I fucking love that. Uh, you know the, uh, the so uh, I'm going to share two short stories because you brought up Jocko mm. and the back in 2000, probably 14 or 15. I attended their very first muster. Nice. Uh, 001 in San Diego. And it's something I will forever be proud of as being a plank owner uh, for Echelon Front. And he is the one that taught me about the easy button. And the second story is I could probably list out six of the most significant pivoting moments in my business. And introducing the idea of the easy button and the solution to my team was one of them. And I got back from that conference. I, it, cause we had team meetings every week. And by this point, I think I had 10 or 12 people on my team. So everyone's in there and I explained to them this easy button theory. And it was, it was great. And it was a testament to the culture that we had. They laughed. They literally laughed when I told them that I, was being the easy button for them and they recognized it. But I also introduced the concept. I said, so moving forward, anytime you bring me a problem, you have to bring me at least one solution mm -hmm. period. And that had, I mean, such a significant impact on how my business operated because what I learned is they weren't relying on me for the answer. I was, not empowering them to think I was enabling them mm -hmm. to rely on me for the answer because it was simple because it was easy. And in the, in the, the few, you know, two or three years following that implementation, I had one conversation and I, it was one of my young guys. He was like 20 and he called, he said, boss, you're going to be at the office. I said, yeah, I'll be here. So he, uh, he comes in, he, he walks into my office and he says, you're going to be mad at me. And I said, okay. He said, I have a problem and I have no solution. And I, and I, and I laughed, but <laughs> the fact that he took that so seriously, I mean, that he, he was ready. He, he was prepared to take an ass chewing because he didn't know what to do. Now this kid had been in the HVAC industry for like nine months. 
he didn't have the experience yeah. to have every solution, <laughs> but it wasn't about solving the problem. It was about embracing the culture and the concept of, I need to have a solution. And it's one man. So it was one of the greatest, again, significant moments, pivoting moments in my company when I stopped being the easy button here. And here's the last part, because this is what it did encourage. And I, I Robbie come, always comes to mind when I think about this, see if they were in a tight spot and they would call me, Robbie would call me, let's say he was on the rooftop of a hospital working on an 80 ton unit. And he would say, Hey, I need an easy button. I'm like, what's up? Hey, I've got this, this, and this. I'm like, check this and this. He's like, okay, bye. Right. But I understood that I didn't need to manage him in that situation because he didn't have any of the resources, including time for us to have a conversation about, well, tell me what you think we should do, yeah. right? There, there are situations that you have to manage and balance that. And when they prefaced and when he would say, I need an easy button, I knew he wasn't fucking around about it. Right. No. But well, I, I and I think Josh, the, the I think that the part we need to understand about that is that you're a resource, not a solution. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I think once you look at it in that lens of like, yes, I can help. I'm not going to fucking do it for you. Right. And I think that's as business mm -hmm. owners, that's the hardest hurdle for us to jump over. Cause I mean, we all started off doing the fucking job. Yeah. Right. And then now all of a sudden you're trying to, to lead these other people to do the job that you did and they're not going to do it as well as you did it, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's so easy for us to jump in there and go, no, it's stupid. This is how it's done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that gets nobody anywhere. You know, <laughs> you can accomplish the same thing and be like, explain to me what you did here. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was well, your thought process with this? <laughs> right. Well, and it's one of the reasons, you know, that I'm an advocate for the walk me through your plan process, you know, back to the system that you have, the one, the four, the, the you know, everything, you can still take that information because the walk me through your plan and the walk me through your plan is not about always handholding or, or micromanaging the process, but it's about teaching people how to look through the project. Mm. And if I give them the steps and you just tell them, say, Hey, look over this project, look through the steps, come back to me in five minutes and walk me through your plan. I want to know the how, right? Cause you've given them all the, what you've given them the, when you've given them the, why it's their job to develop the how. Mm -hmm. And when they bring that back to you, now your job is to bridge the holes in their plan. And that it, it's one of the coolest things that, that happens is you get to see how they think and you, they get to share their perspective with you. Matt and I were joking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago because he can draw something and hand it to somebody else. And it, they see something completely fucking different. I mean, they don't even see the same thing. It's like the, the old lady and the hot girl, you know, the drunk photo, you can turn yeah. upside down and it changes. Like it's, it's that different. So when you, when you encourage the communication and the conversations through the system implementation that you have, it builds trust, it builds transparency, it builds perspective, and that you're also building them to be able to, again, see through the project and make better decisions. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's huge on our part. Um, uh, 
I I had a I had an input on that. And I completely just lost it that's, when you said because when I start the, talking, I don't stop. <laughs> the, 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 the flip over <laughs> thing. I was the, like, the oh, I remember that. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I had some valuable input, on that, but it's not here anymore. <laughs> no, that's um. How do you how do you balance the, yourself from micromanaging people then? through the processes as opposed to empowering them through the processes. That's a, that's a constant struggle. <laughs> I find myself saying a lot. I don't, I don't mean to say this to micromanage you. <laughs> I, I hear those, it, I hear those words come out of mouth, Matt's mouth almost every day. <laughs> hey, not to micromanage you, but <laughs> you know, yeah, so um, oh, I love it. sometimes so I good. even I even flip it back onto me. Um, you know, back to the uh the work order thing. Uh, you know, the work order thing is not only to let them know what's in my head and what's in the bid for time and material and expectations, it's also for me to learn and get better at bidding. So sometimes I try to take it off, you know, when when I'm harping on somebody a couple times for the same thing, I feel it, you know, I feel like I like my, my I tense up. I'm like, man, I gotta talk to him about this again. So I try to relieve it by tape by putting the the problem on me. Like I I'm like, all right, help me understand where where you're coming from with this. Um or I need you to fill out these, you know, one big thing was we um, recently we started to require people to request time off. So we do four 10 hour days, Monday through Thursday, 10 hours a day in the summertime. It's, you know, a plan to work on Friday. And if you don't, it's just a bonus, you know, and it got to the point where we hired a guy that he was like, he would, you know, I, 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 we, oh, this comes back to the processes. If it's not written down, it didn't happen. When we hired him, we're like, hey, you know, you're going to be the road guy. You're going to have to work long hours. And most likely you're going to have to work Fridays. But our work week is Monday through through, uh, through Thursday. If you need, if you really need, need off on a Friday, you need to tell us and let us know. Well, there was a lot of times where he couldn't do overtime. He's like, hey, man, it's 5.30. I got to go. Or I have to leave. It's 5.15. I have to leave. I'm like, wait, why? He's like, well, you know, it's 10 hours. I'm like, okay, well, I need you to come in Friday because this job went sideways. You need to fix it. Well, I have a doctor's appointment on Friday. Well, you didn't let me know. Dude, you have to let me know. So we had to implement a vacation or time off that even if you need off on a Friday, you need to, so, uh, to request it. Um, even though we technically have off on Fridays, we're a small company. You know, what when you're working four days in a week in a world that works five, it gets complicated. So we had to and so also people would say it. They would say, you know, I need the I need this time off. All right, no problem. It's next month. Nobody ever put that on the calendar. You know, we hired a guy, he's like, I have off on this this whole week. I can't work. Cool, no problem. Nobody ever put it on the calendar. I have him scheduled out all next week, working with other people in conjunction with them 
so that their his stuff is done so they can work and this and that. He's like, oh, well, I'm not here next week. I'm like, what do you mean you're not here next week? He's like, yeah, I told you when you hired me on that I have off this next week. Nobody ever put it on the schedule. So now, we, you know, we have to request. So implementing the time off request was kind of, it felt very quote unquote corporate to me because, but I had to reassure to everybody, look, we're not micromanaging you and we're not like trying to put restraints on you or constraints on you because this is this is why it happened. He requested off. I didn't put it on the calendar. Dylan didn't know about it. Melissa didn't put it on the calendar. It's our problem. So in order to make this run more smoothly and to not have these awkward like, well, I told you, well, I didn't remember you telling me, blah, blah, blah. Just write it out. Write it out. Say why you need off. Um, not that it really matters. Uh, we actually have a need off or would like off. So it's like, all right, well, you know, where my girlfriend wants me to go to a picnic and I'd like to go. Well, he would like to go. So, you know, that's kind of a. How often they actually use that would like to box, though? Um, Actually, they they, they do. They do. Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah, they, they do. Um, uh, You know, they're pretty honest about it. They're like, hey, you know, like I would, would really like to go with my friends to this thing on this Friday. Like, you know, I know it's a month away. And they, they, I, I think they've always gotten off every time they even said they, they would like it. But I brought it back to like, hey, this isn't to constrain you. This is so we are, we're held accountable because on that paper, whoever signs off on approving that is responsible for putting it on the calendar. That way, if it falls through the cracks, it's on that person. So that was one of the things where, you know, it was it, it was it was a tough rub because we were in the middle of like so like the the one guy had to keep taking off a lot. And it was it was it was a it was a hard rub for everybody in the shop because we were busy, we needed him, and but you know, and then things fell through the cracks. So that's that's kind of the way I try to not micromanage but empower them because is by explaining to them the why behind what we do rather than just um you know you need to do this and this is how it has to be done so you're talking what you're describing is getting buy-in and when you're looking at systematic operations and implementations there's two boxes that you have to check to get buy-in for implementation and what you're discussing is the first one is why they need to know why it exists the second box is they need to know how it benefits them. Mm. And if you can answer those two questions, you can check those two boxes. You now have buy-in. Mm. And That's because if, it's a really it, it, if you, because if it's to benefit the company, they don't give a shit. It's your company, not exactly. theirs. I, I don't care what your fucking culture is. <laughs> okay. Because the moment that you start imposing operating systems on them to strictly benefit the company, you now have a corporate feel. Hmm. Yeah. So to maintain the culture, they need to know why it exists and how it benefits them. Well, and I think that's so huge with this younger generation. You know, they, they're not motivated by money. They're not motivated by bonuses and shit like that. It's 
time off this younger generation really gives a fuck about their time off and whether that's paid or not you know that's a whole other story but you know they they have life experiences that they want to go engage in and you have to be able to provide that for them and you know we we run into that with guys before where it's like hey we gave everybody a heads up like hey we got a lot of shit firing off all at the same time keep your schedules open we got to go well like you're probably going to be working six tens and then they just i'm like hey uh, i'm gonna need you here on this project on saturday i'm not gonna be there what i i i asked you to keep your schedule and the guy ended up quitting over it you know he was like you know because we pulled his bonus from him afterwards and like hey dude you don't come through well then we're gonna have to you know uh, we're gonna have to pull your bonus from you oh well then i'll go find somewhere else but it was all about the time off mm. and i think you having this very systematized way of being like, hey, we'll give you the time off, but we got to be able to schedule around it. You know, that that's huge being, you know, it's like, hey, uh, it's not on the paper. It, it was on the paper. It didn't fucking happen. So, yep. and that's, uh, you know, we actually recently just started doing that ourselves. We have a, t- a request off form uh, for the guys. And, you know, no matter how busy we are, we try to work around giving people time off. And, sure. you know, I, never once have we really pushed back on people, but, you know, you can go do all this stuff for other people, but just don't expect it on the other end. You know, it's really easy to get offended when they won't come in on a Saturday. You're like, dude, what the fuck? Like you're 25 years old. Why do you not want overtime right now? (laughs) You know, like this is the time when you should be working 18 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, I used to do this all the time. Come on. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Back in my day. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's easy to get caught up in the back of my day. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kevin, I know we've got a time limit today. So closing thoughts from you before we move to the wrap up. So I think I, I really, it's more of appreciation for you guys. Um, it's, 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 you know, when you said, uh, do you guys listen to my, like, are you like copying our podcast? It's funny because I feel like I get a, like, anytime I listen to you guys, I get a lot of value out of what you guys talk about. Um, for not being a welding podcast, you guys have some really Fucker. good stuff on that. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like, you know, I love, I, I, I love the business side of this as much as I do the welding side. Um, hence my podcast, mm-hmm. but I really, uh, you know, both your guys' input is super valuable. And I really appreciate how you guys like, aren't like you are the tradesman experience podcast your value um you know we joke of that you know about the welding podcasting but it spans so great over so many different not only trades but it's just business in general like the advice that you and advice and experience you guys have it spans over such a wide array of things uh whereas mine's a little bit more narrowed down to the welding side of things i you know, I get a lot of, uh, I get a lot out of you guys and I, I appreciate all you, all that you guys do. Well, well I, I greatly I, appreciate that, man. Yeah, Thank man. You. That I, means a lot. Yeah. I wasn't sure Nate's ego could get any bigger, but I'm pretty sure after that, <laughs> it's up there. I'm about ready to float you, out Jack, here. Not you, <laughs> I mean, I'm feel I feel my, I feel yeah, my yeah. chest pumping out yeah. just a little bit. Um, dude, I, I mean, we could go. We we could. I feel like we're so short on this, man. We could go I for know. like like we have to do a couple more episodes on this. I feel like there's. I agree. We we just start rolling. We just started getting yeah, into it. I, I agree, and there's so many things to unpack. And 
you know, it it's it's a privilege for me when I meet someone that I get to spend time with and they exceed my expectation. And because I, I'm I'm not the easiest person to give a shit about what you think or care or do, you know, it's like, I'm just like, I don't fucking care. Get out of my way. Um, but man, you know, getting to hang out with you in Chicago, getting mm -hmm. to, you know, to have this conversation, like, God damn. I mean, we, we could have a podcast together and we could do this shit every week and they would just be fucking fire. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, so, I mean, and to kind of double down on that, dude, that, you know, that little fucking bar at the conference center that we basically lived at for two or three days, uh, you know, the time we got to spend with you sitting there, chopping it up, talking business, talking shop, talking pricing, you know, leadership, all that stuff out of all the shit that I saw while I was there, that was the most valuable time that I spent, you know, I was Great. sitting around having beers, talking shop. And I, it was really good to, to get your input on it. Cause we are essentially in the same market. We do a lot of uh, custom ornamental, you know, as well as structural steel, but to be able to to fire stuff back and forth, find out what people's markups on material are. And, you know, like there was so much valuable information there. And I, I think that you're one of those trendsetters for the industry, you know, and I think that you're oh, yeah. really putting yourself out there and you're really doing what you can to do this the best way possible. And I, I appreciate that. I just yeah. want to share it with, with like, you know, I feel like I'm the most, um, uh, I'm the luckiest person because I get to take the the experience from everybody else. You know, like people they 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 look at the at the podcast as like this this thing. You know what I mean? It's kind of a deal. It's not a deal. It's me just wanting to BS with my friends and I get to rob the information that's in their head for free. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and and, and uh, the only difference is I I I buy a, a microphone, a headset, and I pay for Zoom and I hit record so everybody else can hear it too. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's really I, I don't know. I, I I feel like it's it's I don't know. It, it it's I I'm I'm glad it helps other people. It just it's kind of surreal to have people reach out to me and Say, you know, I started my business because I've been listening to you. I'm like, what? Me? <laughs> like, I just chop it up with other guys and we complain about our our, our welding business together. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, why do you, like, I tell you all the bad stuff that happens in our business and then you go out and you want to join the team of dealing with all this crap? Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what, what a great way to put that. Yeah. Uh, your, your, your podcast is Welding Business Owners Podcast. Where Where else can people find you? Um, Instagram, um, you can find me, JMW Fabrication. The podcast is Welding Business Heroes Podcast on Instagram. Um, I'm really terrible at social media. Um, you can check out Fabricator Olympics on Instagram and fabricatorolympics.com. Um, I think that's, I think that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty terrible with, with all that stuff, but, um, yeah, reach out, man. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all the, you know, I'm always up for talking to people. Um, if they've got specific questions that they want me to ask somebody or bring up topics, I just did something on um, like a three hour long podcast about how to price work. Cause that seems like that's one of the biggest, pr pr the biggest questions I get. So that's coming mm -hmm. out soon. And um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Nate. 
dude uh, hey man it was such a pleasure being able to sit down with you get you on here i'm excited to come on your podcast next week and yeah you know uh you know let, let the tables turn a little bit and uh you actually talk to somebody that is a welding podcast, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, if there's one person on this planet that gets put through the strainer every week, it's Mr. <laughs> Nate Newton. Let me tell you, because he sits at the other end of this podcast table an hour to two hours before we record. And uh-huh. he, he gets full benefit. As I like mm-hmm. to say, I get, <laughs> I get two hours of coaching for free every week. So, <laughs> so, so true. Uh, Kevin, dude, thank you so much, man, for, for, for being on here as a yeah. true privilege. Thank you guys. I really appreciate you. Go check him out. You can find Nate on Instagram at Nate Newton 87. I am on Instagram at the tradesman experience. Email is the tradesman experience at gmail.com websites, the tradesman experience.com. And the YouTube channel is the tradesman experience. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Get out there, get shit done. Be proud to be a tradesman. See ya. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. If you guys liked it, please go on your podcast player and give me a five-star review. That really helps us out. Really go over and check out the Tradesman Experience. Check out all their back episodes. They have a ton of them. I'm telling you, you guys won't be disappointed. You'll get a lot of value out of it. I promise you it'll help you in your walk as a business owner. Check back next week for a brand new episode that we got coming up. Until then, get out there, get it done, and get it invoiced.